0: As I've mentioned for the last week or two and already this morning, we'll be starting our new series this morning in the book of Acts. And so could I please ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 this morning. We're just going to be reading the first five verses this morning as we come to the introduction to to this book and and to our series that we've entitled uh, To Be Continued. Uh, So let's read together God's word in Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Just so far in God's word, and that's the portion that we're going to be looking at this morning, waiting for the promise of the Father and we come to the this new series this morning in the book of acts you might say well why did we as elders choose the book of acts and we've been thinking and praying about this for some time uh, and we believe that as we come to the book of acts it is a much needed and timely reminder to teach us many things which we as a church need to grapple with the book of acts is a book which teaches us what it means to be a christian and particularly what it means to be a Christian who is a member of this local body of Christ. The the book of Acts is very much about the church of Jesus Christ. It teaches us what is the role of the church in our society. It has a lot to teach us practically about evangelism, uh, discipleship, missions, uh, and certainly church planting. But also underpinning all of this, it's a book which reveals to us the importance of prayer in the life and ministry of the church and the vital role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers individually and corporately as a church. As we work our way through the book of Acts, uh, you will soon see that it is a book which challenges many of our traditions and practices Uh, as the church in the 21st century. It's it's going to challenge some of our preconceived ideas. It's a book which may well expose uh, some of our motives as to why we do church the way we do church, and perhaps how we do Christianity when we walk out of uh, this place on a Sunday. But I want you to know from the outset that the book of Acts covers the history of the most influential 30-year period in the history of the world, period. The previous 30 years uh, covered the history of the most influential individual in the history of the world, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are going to now move on to consider 30 years that literally changed the world forever. And so it's a book that has tremendous encouragement uh, for us to see what God can and does do by the power of His Holy Spirit. When a small group of people who are transformed by the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit live out the call of God on their lives. So my message this morning is gonna be a little bit different in the rest that follow and that we need to spend a bit of time this morning uh, looking at an introduction to the book to set the scene of what will be coming in the weeks, of, uh, weeks ahead, uh, but really want to start this morning by asking, well, who wrote this book and why did he write it? Now, you, you may have heard the saying, uh, the past is history, the present is reality, and the future is a mystery. It's a saying which is often quoted by people who are trying to somehow ignore the past, um, Especially so, I would say, in our modern individualistic worldview that we have today, where really, for most people, we think that this is the only generation that matters. All that has gone before us is irrelevant. It's also quoted by those who want to ignore the future. Especially so in our modern humanistic worldview, where we think that this physical world is all that there is. And so often people quote this saying to try and justify and and motivate a a lifestyle and an attitude to the present, uh, which is disconnected from the past and it's oblivious of the future. In other words, it's all about now. It's all about living for yourself in this moment. That's all that matters. That's the world we live in. But I think despite the misuse of this saying, uh, it's a helpful one as we come to the first five verses of the book of Acts this morning. The author of the book of Acts is Luke. He is a medical doctor. He is a close companion of the apostle Paul and he accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. And Luke wants us to consider his whole book in the light of a man a man who lived a a very fruitful life the preceding 30 years, a man who taught many wonderful and amazing things, a man who did the most amazing miracles, but then was crucified on a Roman cross. He wants us to consider this book in the light of a man called Jesus Christ, and he wants us to understand his whole book in the light of the historical person, of Jesus Christ. Luke's gospel, uh, Luke's uh, book of Acts is firmly grounded in the historical facts of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also wants us to understand and, and see his book in the light of the present reality that, that this same historical man, Jesus Christ, who died, he rose again from the dead and he continues to live and to act. He ascended into heaven, and he continues to to teach his people and to accomplish great things uh, in the world today. But he also wants us to see uh, his whole book in the light of a future mystery, at least future from his perspective to a large degree, that this same Jesus will still accomplish his sovereign plans and purposes through the power of the Holy Spirit of God who will be poured out onto the lives of normal, sinful, weak human beings, people who will then become his witnesses, his ambassadors, his servants in the world, and that this mysterious power of God will come to save sinners and to transform lives of millions of people across the entire globe for every generation until Jesus Christ returns to judge the world and to bring about the consummation of the kingdom of God. The past history, the present reality, and the future mystery. I think this is Luke's structure to these first five verses that we are going to consider together this morning. And so let's start with the past history in verse 1 and 2. So as you read verse 1 and 2, you you realize something else has gone on before. Uh, Acts is actually volume 2. Volume 2 in the two-part works of Luke. Luke. Volume one is the Gospel of Luke, and volume two now is the Book of Acts, which from early second century became known as the Acts of the Apostles, and so you might see that at the top or at the beginning uh, of your book that it's often called the Acts of the Apostles. Um, Many people have tried to divide uh, the two volumes of Luke by saying the first volume is the story of Jesus Christ from his birth, through his sufferings and then to his victorious resurrection and ascension. And the second volume is the story of the church from its birth through its sufferings and persecutions to its triumphant spread across the Roman Empire. And I think that's it's helpful and it may seem to fit as we read the book, but I don't really think that's what Luke has in mind as he comes to write volume one and two. Rather, what we see is that Luke in his two volumes are really two stages of of one story. Two parts of the single ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Volume one being his gospel, all about the works and the teachings which Jesus began to do while he was on earth. Began to teach while he was on earth. And volume two being Acts, which is all about the works and the teachings which Jesus continues to do. Uh, while he is in heaven and the clear hinge or the connection between volume one and volume two is the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ into heaven if you just glance back to the very last verses of Luke chapter 24 you will see that he ends his gospel with the ascension of Jesus into heaven that was the end of his earthly ministry And then as you come back to the book of Acts, you see that he starts the book of Acts with the ascension of Jesus into heaven. It's kind of like when you watch a two-part TV series and the beginning of the second episode gives you a brief recap on where the previous episode ended. Well, that's what Luke is doing here. Volume 2 begins where volume 1 ended. And so we must take note that the title of the book uh, is not inspired, although the Acts of the Apostles is helpful. The the Apostles certainly are, are very active in the book of Acts. I think a more accurate title would be the continuing acts of Jesus by His Spirit through the Apostles. The continuing acts of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And so that's why we've given our sermon series the title to be continued the acts of the risen Jesus so let's see what Luke wants us to understand about the past history then in verse 1 and 2 and he says in the first book O Theophilus I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen So clearly like uh, Luke, like most authors, he he wants us to read volume two in the light of volume one. He wants us to know that this is not an isolated book. And so we need to turn briefly to volume one to understand why he wrote this two part historical account of all that Jesus did and taught. And so if you turn back to, to Luke one, I'm gonna bring it up on the screen as well. We see at the very beginning of Luke chapter one, this is what Luke said. So as with a multi-volume set today, if you've ever been given a multi-volume set of books, you usually turn to the preface of the first volume to get an idea of what the whole collection is going to be about. Why is it that it was written and what does the author hope to accomplish through this multiple volumes of books? And, And we see it's no different here with Luke he's made it clear from the very beginning of his gospel that he wants, Theophilus, we don't know too much about who that is, but his readers for certain, uh, as it was passed down as one of the gospels of Jesus Christ to the church, he wants his readers to know for sure with certainty, in other words, all doubts removed, the things pertaining to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So as we look back at Luke 1, 1 to 4, and we then combine it with Acts 1, 1 and 2, we see that Luke summarizes his first volume as the historical account of all that Jesus began to do and teach before he was taken up, and the second volume then, what Jesus continues to do after he has been taken up into heaven. And the single purpose for both volumes, for writing these two volumes, remains unchanged, that you and I may know for certain the true facts regarding Jesus Christ. Now, maybe there are some skeptics here this morning, hopefully not many, but maybe there's one or two who already says to me at this point, Clinton, so what? What does it matter to me or not if I do or don't know the historical facts about Jesus Christ? Just because Luke thinks it's important that we know these things for certain, what does that have any relevance to me? Well, I would say that if if Luke was simply giving us the historical account of an ordinary human being, no matter how great, no matter how noteworthy that person was, maybe you've got a point it wouldn't really matter much at all if you learned the truth about that person's history. But the crucial difference this morning is we're not speaking about an ordinary man who lived and died and is no more. No, we are speaking about Jesus Christ. We're speaking about the second person of the triune God, fully God, who came into this world on a mission from God. And so we are not primarily interested in him as a historical figure. But much more importantly, we are interested in him because of who he is and why he came. That's why this is important. Let me illustrate this. If you heard, if I announced this morning that President Cyril Ramaphosa was coming to visit Honey Ridge next week, your first question would be why? At least we know he wouldn't have load shedding next Sunday. But you'd ask, why? Why? What's his purpose? Presidents don't visit Baptist churches on Sunday. And maybe you'll say, well, he lives in the next town. Maybe he's just in the area and he's trying to win some extra votes for the election. But if you heard that next week King Charles was coming to Honey Ridge, or President Joe Biden, or Vladimir Putin, or Xi Jinping was coming to visit Honey Ridge next week, the rulers of the the richest and most powerful nations in the world were coming to visit our church next week. You would definitely want to know why. Why? Because we're just too small, we're just too insignificant on, on the world map to warrant a visit from such a dignitary. Something big must be going on. Now, how much more than if we can scale that up a thousand times should we be thinking when we consider that the, the sovereign creator God of the universe, the universe which scientists tell us are filled with billions and billions of galaxies and each galaxy contains billions of planets, that the sovereign God of the universe has chosen to visit our little insignificant blob called Earth. And not only just visiting for a Sunday, but he's chosen to become one of us. He's chosen to come and live among us in order to communicate with us and to commune with us. Surely, in your inner heart, no matter how hard or cold that might be this morning, you must want to know why. Why would the God of the universe want to come and visit us? Well, Jesus tells us why in John chapter six, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And so as we consider Luke's emphasis on the past history of Jesus Christ, we, we must not lose sight that this is history which will determine your eternal future. This is the history about the Son of God who became a man in order to reconcile broken, sinful human beings to the holy and righteous God of the universe. Again, listen to how John summarizes the purpose for his gospel. John does it at the end of his gospel. John 20 verse 31, the same thing as Luke. Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But I've written the things that I have written in my book, says John, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So we come back to our our structure of the book of Acts. Luke here is is a professional medical doctor, wants us to know that he has painstakingly reviewed all the evidence. He has interviewed all the eyewitnesses. He's personally visited many of the locations. He's done research into all the source documents. And he has compiled an accurate and reliable historical account of all that Jesus began to do and teach and continues to do and teach in order that you and I may come to know with absolute certainty what is the truth about Jesus Christ. And that by knowing the truth, we would believe in him and that by believing in him, we would have eternal life. Knowledge leads to faith, and faith leads to eternal life. It doesn't matter what you thought about history as a subject at school. This is history that matters. Your life depends on this history, and so you better make sure that if you choose to reject it, you understand the consequences of rejecting it. There's no alternative Jesus Christ is the only way to God, and so we reject him at our peril. So that's the importance then of the past history. What about the present reality uh, in verse three? As much as history is important, especially as it pertains to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we have to admit this morning that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, Then as the Apostle Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we who place our hope in him are of all people to be the most pitied. There's no point in believing in a savior who is dead. And so Luke moves on in verse three to make a very clear point that Jesus Christ is not just a historical figure who lived and died, but he's very much a present reality. Look at verse three. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now this is the Apostle Paul who is a major character in the second half of the book of Acts. He writes his letter a bit later on to the church in Corinth. And he gives an expanded version of what Luke is telling us here in verse 3. Listen to Paul's account in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You can go and check, that's what he means there. They're still alive, go and find out if I'm telling the truth. Yeah, okay, a few have fallen asleep, but the rest you can go and confirm. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The point is that Jesus Christ is a present reality. He was so in the flesh to all of those who were eyewitnesses of his resurrection, to the hundreds who saw him and interacted with him in the 40 days before he ascended. He walked with them, he talked with them, he taught them, he ate with them. But he's also a present reality to every single person who believes in the historical person of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas, doubting Thomas. After Thomas saw the the wounds in his hand and side, Jesus said, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. In other words, Jesus is saying there's something, Thomas, even greater of blessing to those who see me by faith than those who see me in the flesh. And so Jesus remains a present reality. How do I know that Jesus Christ remains a present reality today? Because I'm here and you're here. Because you've witnessed and are witnessing the grace of God in my life and I'm witnessing the transforming grace of God in your life. That is the evidence that Jesus remains a present reality in in the transformation of lives. Again, listen to how Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians 6 verse nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. What an amazing few words. And such were some of you. Imagine if we made that list, not for Corinth, but for Honey Ridge. What would that list look like if we said, Such were some of you. Such were some of me. But he goes on and he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The present reality of Jesus Christ is the ongoing hope of our lives. I won't look at these verses, but jot them down if you want. This next paragraph is just a a summary. It is in Him that we live and move and have our being. It is in Him that we are washed and sanctified and justified. It is in Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. It is in Him that we have an eternal inheritance. It is in Him that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is in Him that we are being built up into the church. It is in Him that we have access to God with boldness and confidence. The present reality of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. It's the essence of being a Christian. Do you realize that no other religion in the world has what we have in the present reality of a living, risen Savior. Not one. And so with that reality comes a stark warning. Because he is real, because he is alive, because his mission was to freely save and then transform those who come to him, if you reject Jesus, If you continue in your ways of rebellion and sin, you will face this very present and living Jesus one day, not as your savior, but as your judge. He's real. He's present. He's alive. So one of the facts that Luke wants you and I to know for certain is this present reality of Jesus. And the implication of that for both Christian and unbeliever is actually staggering. If Jesus is alive and he is present and he will come back to judge the earth, that is staggering. As a believer, it should change everything about the way you live your life. And if you're an unbeliever, it's going to change everything about the way you will spend your eternity. Finally, this morning then, we want, Luke wants us to see as well that there is a future mystery. We see this in verse four and five. There, there are many things about the future we don't know. There are many things that we won't know until Jesus returns and brings with him the new heavens and the new earth. But there are many things which God has chosen to reveal to us. And the scripture usually uses that word mystery to, to take something which was previously hidden and now reveal it to us as sinful human beings. So there are mysteries to the natural, unregenerate, sinful human mind, and yet these mysteries are now revealed to us by God through His Holy Spirit and through His Word. So verse four we read, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The, the one glaring mystery that we have to, to come to terms with in the book of Acts is this: How is it possible that a, a small, weak, feeble group of men and a handful of humble women, how is it possible that they could transform the world as it was then, to the point that the effect of their lives is still being felt by you and I today? How's that possible? I mean, consider what Jesus said to them just before he ascended into heaven. Matthew's account is the fullest. Uh, The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, even then. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of your suburb. If only. now make disciples to this little band of people of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, while you're doing that, I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you. And Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And it's really that behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age that is the book of Acts. It's the continuing work of the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit through His people. These disciples were commissioned to go and make the kingdom of God known across the entire globe. They were a motley crew of uneducated, shy, fearful, even here doubting, unfaithful men. Their track record, if you read the gospels, is shocking. The prospect of success, humanly speaking, was dismal. Listen to one commentator, he says this, From a purely human standpoint, the apostles were in no way ready for such a task. There were things that they still did not understand. Their faith was weak. They had not only failed in public witness, but also in private loyalty and in personal faith. Peter, their acknowledged leader, had vehemently and profanely denied even knowing Jesus. Jesus. With the exception of John, all the disciples had fled in fear of their lives and were nowhere to be found at the crucifixion. Although Jesus had explicitly predicted his resurrection, the disciples scoffed at the initial reports that his tomb was empty. When Jesus appeared to them, he found them cowering behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish authorities. Thomas, who was not present, refused to believe even the testimony of the other 10 apostles. The apostles themselves obviously lacked the understanding and the power to complete Jesus' unfinished ministry. However, in these last words to them, before his ascension, the Lord Jesus reiterates the promise of the Holy Spirit. He will empower the apostles. He will empower all subsequent believers with the resources necessary to finish the Savior's work. So this prologue to Acts gives us the key to understanding the the future mystery. God will grant power to his people through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is what made all the difference for these men. And this is the key which still makes all the difference to us as the Honey Ridge Baptist Church here in 2024 what makes all the difference to Andy and Debbie in the jungles of Papua with the Moscona people. It's the power of the Holy Spirit and Him alone that enables us to complete the work which Jesus left us to do. Listen to how Jesus explains this mystery to us. John 16, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, says Jesus. Now notice that Jesus says, everything that the Father has, I have. And the Spirit will take what I have and he'll declare it to you. Therefore, I said, he'll take it and declare it. The mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only that a a righteous God has made a, a way of salvation possible through His Son, but that He has poured out and will continue to pour out His Holy Spirit on all those who come to Jesus by faith. He will instruct, He will empower, He will equip. Without the empowering of the Spirit in your life, you would never have even become a Christian to begin with. You need him to breathe spiritual life into your dark and dead heart and to make you alive. I hope you realize that this morning. You are only here today as a Christian because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. But without the empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life, you won't even be able to live one day in a way which is pleasing to God. You you can forget about New Year's resolutions. I mean, we're already in February and they're gone. Without the Spirit... You have already lost the battle against sin and its power in your life. Without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you'll never be able to do the, the good works that God has prepared in advance for you. You won't be able to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You won't be able to submit to your husband as, as the church submits to Christ. You won't be able to teach and train your children in, in the paths of righteousness you won't be able to serve your boss as if you were serving Christ. It's impossible. Without the empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will not be able to give a reason for the hope that you have when someone asks you about your faith. Without the empowering of the Holy Spirit in us as a church, we will never be able to fulfill the great commission to make him known here in Johannesburg and in Gauteng and in South Africa and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So my question to you this morning is this, have you waited on God to receive his power from on high? Have you received the promise of the Father? If Jesus gave such a clear command to his disciples, he said to them, wait, don't go anywhere. Don't even think about trying to do anything for me in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. If Jesus had to tell 11 men who had been with Jesus every single day for three years, if he had to tell them to not do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we not need the power of the Spirit in our lives? I'm not speaking here about some kind of second blessing. I'm speaking here of true and genuine conversion, being born again as the child of the living God, having His Spirit remove your heart of stone for Him to give you a heart of flesh, a heart which loves God more than anything that this world has to offer. Jesus promised that He will give His Holy Spirit to everyone who calls on His name to be saved. And If you've never done that, then I urge you to do that today. You do not know when God will require your life from you. You do not know when you will stand before the risen Jesus as judge. Won't you surrender yourself to Jesus as Savior and Lord? Receive this amazing gift from the Father that you might be in a right relationship with your Creator now and He might empower you to to live for Him on this earth. But I assume I'm speaking in the majority to those of you here this morning who are children of the living God. Can I urge you this morning to not be satisfied with a sloppy and weak experience of the power of the Spirit in your life. We're going to see in the rest of our studies that God continued to fill and empower those who submitted themselves to Him daily. And as they expended themselves, literally expended themselves for the kingdom of God, they did not run out of steam. Their capacity and their desire for His presence and His power only increased, and their hearts were stretched, and their minds grew, and their efforts expanded as God continued to bless them who made themselves His instruments. So can I encourage you this morning, if you are running out of steam in your service of the Lord today, won't you wait afresh on God to grant you His Holy Spirit? Don't back out from service. No, run to Jesus and plead with Him for more of His Spirit in your life. Are you weak and afraid? You're so scared that someone might ask you, are you a Christian? Will you tell me what that means? Don't withdraw into isolation. Don't go and hide on your own. No, grab hold of what Jesus says like these disciples did. Wait on Him to receive the Spirit in greater measure so that you too can be bold for Jesus. Perhaps you're struggling with a very difficult domestic or work situation. It's draining you of your strength. Run to Jesus, pray to him, read his word, draw near to him to give you the grace and the power to be the person that he has put you in that very circumstance, that very home, that very work situation to shine his light. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God by his Holy Spirit will not sustain you. You are not where you are by accident. God has you there by His sovereign purposes and by His Holy Spirit, He will sustain you. And so there's great comfort for us this morning who know Jesus. May this be a a challenge to just continue, to, to just continue afresh to give ourselves to Christ, to make sure that we are not Quenching the work of the Spirit in our lives through unrepentant sin, may we strive day by day not to walk in our own strength, but in the strength that the Lord Jesus Christ has promised as we seek to live out His great commission uh, here in our city and further afield. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Yes, Father, we do marvel this morning uh, to consider. The reality that the eternal creator, God of the universe, visited us. Didn't just visit us, but you came to dwell amongst us because you made us. And you desire to be in a relationship with us. And you desire for us to be your representatives on this earth. We want to thank you for... This new series that we will begin today now in the book of Acts, that it would be one which really stirs our heart afresh as it did for those early Christians. That as we look back on what was the most profound 30 year period in the history of the world, we would be hungry as your people here at Honeyridge in Johannesburg in 2024 for the same outpouring and transforming work and power of the Holy Spirit to be evident in our city. And so we pray for revival. We pray for us as a church to be obedient, to be filled with Christians who are completely devoted to Jesus and to, your, to completing your unfinished mission here on earth, which is to not lose one whom the Father has given to you. We are your ambassadors. The task is too great for us. And so help us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.